Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. Today, I am joined by two guests. I am joined by Clint Davis and Sam Syed, and they are each co-founders of the social media app Capsule. So we will do a deep dive into each of their backstories and what they are creating with Capsule. I'm going to forego the bio reading portion with, with two gentlemen who are on today. It would take a really long time. If you are interested in reading their bios, the bios are in the show notes, but they do a really wonderful job of articulating a lot about their stories. So if you just tune into the conversation, they will sort of take care of that part for me. I will still raise awareness on the front end right here for the charity or organization of my guest choice. And this episode, the organization is called Hope Kids. Please join me in donating. Sam at I believe the very end of the conversation talks about Hope Kids and the level of impact that it has in his life. So uh, please join me in donating. It will make a very sizable difference in these children's lives. In this conversation, like I mentioned just previously, we do a little bit of unpacking of Clint and Sam's stories. They met in Dubai, each pretty early in their professional career. And they were on very different paths, but they had a friendship that was budding and developed. Many years later, or I shouldn't say many years later, but several years later, Clint had the idea formulating for Capsule. And so we we spend the very front end of this conversation just talking about how did this bubble up for him? Where did the idea come from? Why did he feel it was so important? And what I love most about Capsule well, there's several things that I love about Capsule. One is Clint and Sam have identified that they are both very passionate about history and history as it currently stands is dictated to us uh, in a very specific way. For, uh, for an example, if you're raised in New York like I am and someone else is raised in Alabama, you are going to get two very different versions of American history, which isn't even to speak of the global history. Uh, And so as Sam and Clint have been in so many different parts of the world, they've seen that that is a, a gaping hole in the way that we view our past and dictate our future. And so one of the hopes with Capsule is that with first person storytelling, if we each have a time capsule, if you will, for us to record our audio memories, video memories, things that we wouldn't post on Instagram because Instagram is very much curated for a highlight reel type of life. On Capsule, you, what is being created is this place where we can actually store what's real. And one of the examples that Clint gives in this interview, I believe, is like when you met your spouse, what was what was the drive like for you on your way to the date? What were your specific memories? What were the little things that contributed to that memory being so meaningful and not just the highlight real stuff of being on a fancy vacation or on your honeymoon? 
I have personally used Capsule to record moments where I was going through something and needed to have a lesson to reflect back on or a moment where I was grieving and in pain because it's going to be really valuable for me to look back on. So I really, really appreciate what Sam and Clint are doing. I'm going to let them take it from here and explain all of the beautiful things that they're doing with Capsule. Let's go ahead and settle in, take a deep breath. And enjoy what Sam and Clint have for us. All right, Clint and Sam, welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Hello, hello. Let's find some meaning. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm great. I've been looking forward to this one. And how are you doing, Sam? I'm good, man. Very good. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I don't usually have two guests on. I certainly don't have two guests with such amazing accents on at the same time. But <laughs> nonetheless, I wanted to start the interview the same way that I start most of my interviews. I know that each of you will have fascinating answers to this. The way I start the interview is by asking, what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? And I'll actually start with Sam. Sam can answer first, and then we'll, we'll move to Clint after. Well, I, I grew up with five brothers, and I'm the fifth youngest of, uh, of five. So growing up was awesome. And that dinner table, all sitting around, was just very, very family-orientated. My dad always cooked. My mom kept the house together. And there'll just be good conversations and some banter and uh, occasional punches from a few brothers and stuff. <laughs> it was just, it was just, a, it was a, it was a chaotic and extremely fun time that uh, that I cherish. Awesome. And Clint, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't have, uh, I don't have an extremely fun time growing up. In childhood memories. Most of my, I don't know that we actually sat around the dinner table much, to be honest, or ever. I had a quite an abusive stepfather. And so my dinner times were really around where was a safe space to eat, you know, and if that was in silence in the same room, then it would be in silence or I'll start eating in my bedroom or often we'd eat before we got home, you know, to not have to deal with that and I'd try to go straight to bed. So a different sort of scenario, but I did have, you know, I had a grandfather who I loved and looked up to and he would always get the whole family together every Friday night and we would go up the road to a restaurant and we would do that without fail. And so, uh, so there was this bittersweet balance of things, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you both for sharing. I was also, one of my curiosities with this question is that I know that between you two and Anton is his name, right? The, the third co-founder. Yep. That's yeah. right. That's our, uh, our imaginary co-founder who lives in Bali. <laughs> <laughs> he's stuck. He's there. He's, he's stuck in Bali. Yeah. So said. terrible. So uh, sad. That's a, that's a terrible place to be stuck. From what yeah. I understand. Well, I, I know that between each of you, you have 40 years of friendship. And I was wondering if you have any dinnertime memories together. I don't know how long your each of your childhood's friendship spans, but I would love to hear memories that you guys have together at each other's dinner tables. Sam, do you want to do you want to speak about how much how many memories you've created at the dinner table with Anton? <laughs> <laughs> we've had some. I think we've had some virtual, some virtual uh, snacks whilst we've been in our meetings. Yeah, Anton and Clint's known each other a lot longer. I've known Clint over ten years now, and uh, we actually met in Dubai. And we we went to the same church, and uh, he was always a, a mentor, to, um, a mentor to me. And 
a leader. So uh, I've got some really good memories of us um, every, well, we had church on Friday. And and after, we would always hang out with, with a big group, this awesome core group, and uh, we'll go around houses and break bread together. So just awesome, actually, uh, very similar to the experiences I had growing up as a kid. You know, it was, uh, you know, as you get older, brothers start moving around the world. I had one in Australia, one in China, one in San Francisco, and obviously me in New York and now in, in Denver, Colorado. And, you know, we all get scattered around. So at uh, one well, previously in Dubai where I met Clint. So, you know, that was just real, real good memories. And we've extended that. Um, obviously, Clint's in Austin now. And uh, every time I'm in Austin, we uh, we um, actually one one recent one was the, the smokehouse that you took me to. Clint. That was awesome. That was a really good one. Clint loves his uh, brides as the uh, South Africans call them. And we've had some, we've had some good brides in Austin. Awesome. We have, yeah. And I have, and I have done the right Texan thing and got into, because I'm an American citizen and I live in Texas and this is my home. So I have had to get him educated on a little bit of barbecue. Look at him drinking. He's drinking a little espresso out of the tiniest little <laughs> cup. I don't know if he's trying to be fancy or a giant, but he's, he's got that little <laughs> pinky, that British pinky is out there. It's out. Look at that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, Sam, I'll, I'll keep the dinner story about Sam for a second. I'll tell you first about Anton. Anton and I, yeah, we go way back and it's just quite a quite a, a fun thing for me to see Sam and Anton build a friendship where they've never met. You know, we've been founding for over a year and a half now and uh, they still haven't met, but have found this friendship. And so, so that's quite cool and very rewarding in itself. But, you know, Anton and I go way back. We go back probably around 27 years and probably the best dinner table stories are every Saturday night, Anton's wife and I would go to uh, karaoke, sit in the thickness of a cloud of smoke for anybody that remembers when you could still smoke in restaurants and places and pubs and that. And then we'd sing karaoke, you know, for, for better or worse for people's hearing. That was kind of our, uh, our dinner. We also had no money, so we'd only order glasses of water that were free. Uh, for the whole night and waiters and waitresses and managers hated us they only let us stay because uh, we were such such uh, interesting personalities and would sing you know and keep it going so mm -hmm. you know there was that time of our lives but i distinctly remember sam in dubai taking on the challenge to cook everybody and i think there were about probably about 16 of us <laughs> you look at him shaking his head he does a valentine's dinner and uh, he just felt like cooking. I will tell you, Sam, Sam, he's a mean cook. He's a mean cook in the kitchen. Really, really good at it. Good breakfasters too, as well, that he's got his head around. But I will say one thing about Sam, as wonderful as that evening was, and as wonderful as the food was and everything, and it truly was amazing. Sam thinks that every single knife, fork, plate, pan, pot in the kitchen should be used to cook every single meal. <laughs> And so the pictures of that that kitchen after the fact was uh, they could have made some sort of uh, you know World War Z film about it. But no one no one helped me clean it up. They all left. No, we they were full. We needed to go to sleep. I mean, you know, we had, we had nice. an awesome time, and I was I was left with the challenge of uh, of tidying that kitchen. Um, yeah, because you lived there, and that's why you don't host where you live. That's uh, <laughs> that's the rule. <laughs> that's actually one of my my most memorable dinners. Oh yeah, in, for sure. Uh, in in Dubai, in my four and a half years in Dubai, yeah, good times. It's, it's beautiful, and we'll we'll get to capsule. But I imagine that's one of the many reasons that you wanted to 
create this app. It's to be able to, to capture those memories. And before we get into where you are today, I have already alluded to your amazing accents and you guys are both world traveled. I would love to hear each of your, we don't need to go into super great detail about it, but I would love to hear each of your backgrounds. What brought you to the U.S. eventually and, and where did you come from? We can start on this one with Clint. Yeah, it's, um, gee, where is the start point of this? Uh, I have a, I have a long version. I have a short version. My wife and I always wanted to live in the States. We kind of always had that seed in our hearts. Uh, I played baseball for 27 years, 28 years in South Africa and then other countries where we moved to. And so there was really, it was embedded, you know, we, we wanted to, we felt American, uh, in our core. But we're assured by lawyers that we'd never make it. We wouldn't have the the income or the um, the qualifications to enter the states. And so an opportunity arose for us to move to Dubai. We knew we wanted to move out of South Africa. We just wanted to see the world a bit and experience some cultures, and we just felt like there was more. And so we moved to Dubai. Ended up there for six years. Uh, it sounds glamorous. It's not glamorous. You, if you move there with a lot of money, it's glamorous. And if you can find your way, it's glamorous. But we moved on a zero budget, zero dollar budget, and it was tough. It was very tough. Um, we had four years of extremely precarious living, just from naivety and from a system that was brand new in the world. They didn't know how to restructure debt or things like that. And around that time, 2008, we had the, the financial crisis. So it was problematic for a lot of people. And there's all stories about that, people leaving their Ferraris and Lamborghinis at the airport and jumping on a plane so they didn't end up in a Middle Eastern prison, you know, because there was no structure to repay things. And then, you know, sort of after the four years of really toughness, we had two years that we really, uh, really starting to see the light and started to balance life out, but then really felt that we, without going too spiritual on it, really felt a divine call in a sense to move to Australia and support some friends there who had planted a church. And we, we did that. In the process, we found out they'd been very private about it, and that's okay, but that his wife had unfortunately gotten breast cancer, and she passed away six months after us getting into there. And we really took over a lot of the the leadership aspects of a church that they were leading at that time and uh, helped with that, but didn't know where we were going to end up. A few years prior, we'd entered a thing called the Green Card Lottery that most Americans don't know exists, but it does. And actually only entered it because this friend who we moved to in Australia to help had put me forward as a reference. And I was like, okay, but only because it's him. And so we'd been in this thing for six years and they called us to say, hey, you've won the green card lottery, which gives you basically an expedited process towards your green card. And so we ended up very fortunately being able to enter the US on a 0.73% chance of winning that, which is just astounding. You just think about that figure for a moment. I mean, it's astounding. And um, yes, saw that dream come true to be in this uh, country that has great potential to be one of the greatest countries in the world and um, became citizens last year and voted for the first time this year. So awesome. that's kind of our journey. This is home. Austin, Texas is where we are, where we belong. And we didn't keep dual citizenship. So we are only American. And uh, yeah. That's that's us, stars and stripes now, you know? Awesome. Uh, before we get to you, Sam, I actually just have a, a couple of follow-ups for Clint here. 
So the first, Clint, there's no such thing as too spiritual on Mike's search for meaning. So we, we welcome any level of depth that you want to go in this conversation. We totally welcome it. And another curiosity that I have, Clint, is I know that you grew up in South Africa during apartheid. And I, I know that you've spoken to it many times in other podcast appearances, but I would love to hear it on my podcast. And, and one of the reasons that I bring it up is because I think it demonstrates the level of empathy that you have and understanding for people of all different ethnicity, ethnicities, cultures. And uh, it, it speaks to why you're such a, a good candidate to be starting a company like this. So the floor is yours. I oh, appreciate it. That's very kind of you. I've never heard it put that way. So thank you for that. That's meaningful. Yes, it's an interesting thing to address race, isn't it? You know, it's almost like the walls come up straight away. And we want to judge people on how they position things immediately, and villainize people, for the most part. Sadly, this is where we live right now. And, you know, we think it's new, it's not that new, it's always kind of been there. But wouldn't it be nice if we progressed through humanity as having a little bit more dignity for each other. Uh, and that's both in the conversation and beyond, right? So I shouldn't have to say that I have black friends and, and all of that, you know, but the truth of the matter is that some people say that to virtue signal, I say it to say that that is evidence of much healing that had to take place in my life from being, being brought up in a society that deemed separation and racial discrimination as the norm. I grew up with that being the norm. To me, it was a norm. The fact that your the person who worked as your gardener or your housekeeper would not be allowed to eat inside, but would go and sit outside in the step on the step to eat or wherever, you know, is just really normal practice, the second grade class thing. And so it's interesting what that fuels in you, whether you are deliberate about it or whether it is part of your upbringing, hatred always fuels uh, a lot of negativity, a lot of brokenness. And it's hard to even find, in my opinion, your own identity if you are continually taking a racial stance on things because you have to recognize yourself for who you are and you have to recognize others and that their skin color is no more than part of their journey and their history and something you should recognize and admonish. And so it was a tricky time in the sense of race uh, relations. And like I said, I think racially, it's not, there's no change without healing. And it's an individual healing that has to take place when you consider how your response will be to the world and to other cultures. But outside of the race, the race issue, it's really more of a leadership conversation. It's, it's a matter of how did we get in that? How did we get mass buy-in into that? And this, keep in mind, this was not exclusive to South Africa. It was all over the world. And might I even be so bold as to say that even on the count of South Africa's reverse racism in a way now, because now it's not black and white, it's white and black, and we can, that's a whole nother discussion. But it is still very much accepted, even in America, some of the implementations that we had around apartheid. The difference was South Africa put a name on it, a label on it, and that was unacceptable. But a lot of the world looked at South Africa and sanctioned South Africa, but we're still doing a lot of these racial things in their own backyards. You know, when we look at lynching in America was only completely abolished uh, within the last two years out of law. I mean, what are we, you know, what are we talking about? We're pointing fingers, but we're not fixing our own stuff, you know? 
So the leadership side of it was really the thing that interested me most, where I look at it and I go, well, how do we transition power at that point? Nelson Mandela, fantastic human being. We all wanted him to be a incredible leader um, that took us further. But he was quite old at that stage. And, you know, the transition of power didn't have his heart behind it. And um, he struggled with that handover. And so that's where the lesson lies for me. As we look forward to moving from some of the weaknesses we have cultivated in our society and to a younger generation that wants to come up and lead, what are we going to do to stipulate that line of thinking that it's not just for now, but it's for ongoing, for future generations, for every culture, every person, understanding every person has value. And in that, how are we going to successfully transition that thinking, that ethos and that pattern of leadership to the next generation? We, there's a lot of things we want to fix for now. We need to be thinking about sustainability across the ages. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. And Sam, I would love to kick it over to you to hear about your background and, and what eventually brought you to the States. And, and I want you to take as long as you would like to. I would love to hear the, your full story here. Sure. He doesn't say that to me. If anybody says take as long as you like to me, that's the rest <laughs> of the podcast. Like, look at this liberty with his little cup and his finger up. I need to get a little cup. I'm going to get a little cup while you talk. <laughs> it's not as, it's not as, uh, I mean, first of all, it wasn't a zero point seven three chance. So that's an, just an amazing story from, from Clint and how he ended up in the U.S. Uh, as you know, now I grew up with five brothers. What you didn't know is I was very much in a working class family. And when you're in a working class family, it's an interesting dynamic because um, you have big thoughts and, uh, you know, being in the pecking order, I had to naturally speak louder and eat faster so I can get seconds and be heard. And so growing up, I always knew there was more of a purpose for me. This is way before I became a Christian and became a believer I just uh, I just knew that there was more of a purpose in my life. And so being being constrained within the United Kingdom for me was never really an option. I was always open to 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 look across to other countries and potentially move. I'd say that's 75 percent of it. Twenty five percent of it is luck. I got offered a job to move to Dubai. I was at that time a relatively otherwise very successful stockbroker. Uh, derivatives trader. I was doing well and I uh, kind of moved up the ranks and um, they promised me internal sunshine and tax-free money. And so I said to myself, this is a no-brainer. Let's do it. So I moved. And that move was the the best thing I ever did in my life, that, that decision to move to Dubai. Now, very similar to Clint, I also had a very hard time in, in, in Dubai. The first year was extremely difficult. Uh, I remember um, one night or early morning, it was 1 a.m., I was in the office and uh, I was I was pretty much crying and wondering what the heck am I doing? I was in debt. The, the promise that was made to me wasn't completely true. And uh, you'll find that in a second that that's been a reoccurrence in my life. <laughs> so, uh, so I struggled, man. I struggled, and I, I put my head down and uh, I said, "I'm not going to go back to the UK. This is it. I've made my decision. When you in the UK, you'll be getting less money, and there'll be taxes." So I said, "I'm all in. I have to be here." And I managed to turn it around and built up a very successful practice in in Dubai. 
And then I got uh, approached by our biggest competitor and we didn't have an office in, in the US. So I didn't feel like I was jumping ship because it was a whole new opportunity. And they said, we want you to move to our flagship office. They had offices pretty much everywhere in the world. And they said, um, we want you to move to the US, come to Manhattan. And I was uh, 29 years old at the time. And I was, I guess, going for a, a pre-midlife crisis. And I was thinking, well, if I don't take this opportunity, I'll probably be in Dubai for the rest of my life, which is a very comfortable life. I'm sure Clint would agree, probably not a fulfilling life. People get too complacent in Dubai. And um, sadly, they fall into the, the golden birdcage or open prison, as I like to call Dubai, because you, you, you can leave, but you, you never truly leave. You always come back. Uh, whereas me and Clint did truly leave. We got out. <laughs> and so we beat the system. And so I moved to Manhattan. That's how I moved to the US. I accepted the job. And once again, uh, I was promised something which did not happen. And uh, the first year in, in New York ended up being the hardest year of my life. It was uh, it was even harder than than uh, being in Dubai. And long story short, I know you said I can go on forever, but long long story short, I basically had two weeks to stay in the US. That was it. They said to me, uh, you've lost your visa and um, you need to leave in two weeks. Pack up your stuff, you're going. And very stubbornly, I, uh, I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to leave because uh, I've made this decision to move. And, um, you know, I do suffer, um, I'm sure a lot of us do, but from a little bit of self-pride. And I didn't want to move back to Dubai because I made that decision to leave Dubai and move to Manhattan. And so um, I basically had to wait six months of not working, uh, living in Manhattan before I can get my work permit. And that destroyed me. That was That was a very difficult time. The six months before that, when I was actually working, my income was less than my rent. So I essentially earned nothing for an, for an entire year living in Manhattan. And yeah, that was a tough time. I met my wife eight days after moving to the US. So the reason why I say moving to Dubai was the best decision I ever made is because I wouldn't have met my wife if I didn't move to Dubai. I wouldn't have met all my friends that I have around every continent around the world if it wasn't for Dubai. Dubai was the catalyst and in order for me to become an expat, an expatriate, someone that lives outside of their home country. And that changed my life. That that opened my eyes. I married a Colorado girl. COVID happened in Manhattan. I realized that my 720 square foot apartment was uh, was a prison cell, a luxury prison cell. And so uh, me and my wife decided to... Uh, to bail out and, uh, and and build a house in Colorado. And that's how I ended up in Colorado. So uh, that's my relatively short story. Beautiful. I, I want to keep unpacking a, a little bit more with you, Sam, because I know that there's there's more really interesting stuff there. I know that your parents each immigrated to the UK as well. And so you were actually born to immigrant parents. And I'm wondering how much you attribute your resilience to your lineage of what it seems like people who were very curious about the world, uh, folks who want to explore the world, and also folks who went after what they wanted without having any sort of clear indication that it was going to work out, just kind of trusting your gut and following your, your heart's call. Yeah, man. Yeah. My, uh, my mom moved from Portugal. My dad moved from Pakistan. Two, two places to, to end up 
in the UK in the mid 60s, 70s. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I admire them both for that because it was a different time back then. The world wasn't as open as it is now where you can just travel around pretty much anywhere. And, uh, and they made it work and they had six boys, you know, and that, that, I, I guess there is a part of that where my, my, I've got two kids. I've got an 18 month old and a three month old and they, I wouldn't change it for the world. Love them both dearly and they wouldn't be around if I didn't move, uh, out, out of the UK. Right. So it's a, I'm a philosopher and a historian by heart and passion. My first two subjects, I just happened to stumble across finance. So I, I do think deeply about this and. Yeah, it's, you know, my parents created a family by moving to a different country. And I guess part of me wanted to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, thanks, Sam, for sharing that. Thank you both for sharing so much about your stories. I think it, it really does show, like I said, why you're so qualified to be starting a company like this, where you're inviting every person to share their full story. Uh, it doesn't matter what your background is or how quote unquote successful you are or how interesting or uninteresting you think you are. Everyone has a, a powerful story to share. And so I wanted to start by hearing both of yours. A curiosity that I have for each of you before we get into the founder story, because I would love to hear how this actually came into fruition. But before that, I would love to hear for each of you, there seems to be like a lot of each of your backstory deals with this there's a sink or swimness to it, right? Like you, you put yourself in situations where you didn't have as much security as many people who are listening to this probably have. And there is definitely a sink or swim energy to that. And I also experience each of you to be very kind, understanding. Maybe, I don't know if this is true with yourselves, but you seem to be gentle and caring with other people. And I'm, I'm just wondering how each of you balance both of those. They, they seem diametrically opposed in a lot of ways, but I think it's important to integrate both of them. I know it's a big question. E either one of you can, can take it first. That's so interesting. Yeah, I, I actually didn't think of this before, but uh, I just alluded that, you know, most of my subjects were his, history and philosophy, but I also stumbled across the world of finance. And I always said to myself, I always questioned why I was in finance. I remember being in the trading floor in London and everyone swearing and uh, just just um, some really terrible people. And and I was and I was basically driven to hit quotas and basically man up, whatever the saying is, and work hard um, whilst having this kind of deep philosophical core in me. And so I guess like. For me, it's actually quite an easy question to answer because I can I can see it so clearly that I've been in an industry where it's it's relatively cutthroat. There's figures, there's quotas, there's this, there's that, um, and it's very driven. But I've also had this deep desire, for compassion, and just the desire to really change the world. There's a different story which I'll get to later on about. You said the founder, the founder question, and I'll, I'll tell you how that that perfectly aligns to that. But um, does that make sense, Mike? Does that the, it, the I, I see it clearly. It's just hard to explain it sometimes. But um, they're two completely different subjects <laughs> or, or areas. But I was kind of in them. I've always been in them both my whole my whole professional career. So yeah. it's uh, I do I, I I kind of yeah I can. 
bounce between the two. I can I can reflect back the way that I'm hearing it, and you you tell me if I'm in the ballpark or even closer than the ballpark, Sam. What I'm hearing is that there's underneath everything there was always a, a curiosity about philosophy, uh, human behavior. Why are we operating the way that we are? And there was also a drive to get out of the working class level of income. And the example that you shared, the, the way that I see it, is that you were in a place that was very materially driven. There was a the traditional success metrics were being pushed very hard. And you also, so your, your background and being compassionate and understanding, it made you realize, I don't want to be like these people who are being really hard on each other, being really tough on each other. So those are, that's the way that I saw them overlapping in, in your response. Well, then, then I explained it well, then that was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. And, and Clint, I'd love to hear the same for you. Yeah, I kind of want to understand the question just a little bit more. So the one tension is the empathy and the gentleness towards people on the one end, right? And then the other side, you sort of the drive, right? Yeah, and maybe to make it a little clearer, I think to make an extreme an extreme example in the U.S. is let's just say someone who's raised in extreme poverty and has really tough, and they might come from an abusive family as well. There's a way that I experience it to be that that person is very, very, very likely to only drive for success in the material external way. And it's hard for me to imagine that that person would have a natural level of empathy and compassion for other people and a a care that they can bring to life when that wasn't really being given to them in the first place. So Mm. I'm just wondering how how that has materialized for you. How have you been able to leverage both of those strengths, the the way that I see it, at least? Yeah. Interesting. Ego is so wrapped up in one of those, you know. (laughs) Ego is such a downfall for us as humans. You know, six years ago, I sat on a bed in LA in a $1,700 410 square foot studio apartment, um, unable to find work in America because uh, we didn't understand the uh, the intern system, and we thought we'd pick up easy jobs coming from backgrounds in uh, in entertainment. Because I was a radio DJ on air to over five million listeners in four different countries for a period of 17 years. And so I thought, you know, we'll just pick up the scrub work, but we didn't understand that that goes to interns, you know, particularly all the film students in LA. So ended up with uh, a year and a half or a year of really not finding any work. But it was worse than that because I'd come out of a place of my degrees in theology. And so for that period that we helped with that church in Australia, I'd come out of a place of massive identity being tied to the task. And the identity was focused on my position as a pastor my position as a theologian, counseling every day, preaching every weekend. I have a very different perspective on all of that now in the sense of the the sort of narrowness that some uh, lanes of faith can present us with. And that's another conversation for another time, which can be hours. But I, I sat on that bed, honestly, suicidal. I'd come to a point where I really had lost all hope. And you start to value the understanding of when you lose hope and how that actually is not just an airy-fairy emotion, but a true physical 
uh, reaction and it, how it affects your body. And really did think about plans to, you know, make it okay for my wife to go back to South Africa and have a policy for her and then take my own life. And I'm sorry if it triggers anybody, but I feel we need to be able to speak about these things. And I think when you're faced with something that dire, that you realize what everything that you consider has had meaning in your life, coming to a point where it's very questionable, I couple that with a moment that happened just a year ago, six months into founding, where I found out I had testicular cancer and the face facing the the brush of your own mortality and what that means and what you've left behind and how you want to live your life moving forward. I feel like people in struggle, as you've aforementioned, it's really an opportunity to make some decisions around what kind of person you want to become. Now that's easy to say, and it's easy to, to position it that way from our ego side. The reality is when you're in depression and when you're struggling through major trial, you can't think clearly. I didn't understand depression. I didn't understand that until I had it. And you can't, there's just, there's no way out. When people say, just pull your socks up and keep going. It does not work that way. The brain doesn't work that way. Emotions don't work that way. You just cannot see a way out and you cannot find the energy or the clarity of thought to do it. And if you allow those moments to open you up to being more empathetic towards yourself and towards others, then I think you become a better person with stronger character. Unfortunately, the opposite is true as well, where people don't find a healthy space from that and they become more victimized and defensive and aggressive towards others as that sort of defense hurt mechanism, which is honestly, we find a lot of people like that and people need help to become whole without judgment. If you can go on the empathy side, I think that's where you really find some power and strength to connect with each other on a greater level and connect with yourself on a greater level. It's, it's not, it's, it's a, it's a tough one because it's not something you want to wish on anyone. But at the same time, when I look back at those times, I have probably gained the most value from them as a person. And so I don't know, sometimes there's some good reflection to go back through struggle, you know, value and struggle and sacrifice are very rarely exclusive of each other. And we want to find purpose without going through some pain. And that just is not a reality. Yeah. You know? there's, there's a quote that I think about very often. Your superpower is often located next to your deepest wounds. And in, yeah. in some ways, that's, that's what I'm hearing right now. And I, I wish it weren't so. I wish that we didn't have to go through pain to, to learn such valuable life lessons. But sometimes that is the, the course that life takes us on. And if, if we're resilient enough, if we are open to life enough, then we can triumph and come out on the other side of it. And yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for you sharing, going all the way there about each of your stories. And from here, I would love to hear, I mean, you've already given strong indication about why Capsule is so important to you, but I would love to hear what ended up, what gave you the impetus to actually start it? And Clint, I know that you were the initial founder, so we'll start with you. And then from there, I would love to hear how Sam came along and how the company has grown. Yeah, that's great. Sam's, Sam's story is actually a really fun one. So um, from both of our sides and, you know, 
the fun thing about founding is that you get these little stories where nobody else will ever really have a piece of the real understanding of those moments, you know. But, you know, a lot of it comes from my, my background. I sat down one night wanting to record the, some of the experiences that I've had, you know, living a life of in the, in the, in the media space, in radio and TV, you get afforded so many opportunities. You get to do reality TV shows. You get to jump out of planes, go in Formula One cars, all this stuff. Really cool, you know. And that was fun. And I kind of started out wanting to sh save those experiences. But I realized more and more that it wasn't the experiences I wanted to save. It was the effect that those moments in life had had on my life and me as a person. And I wanted my kids one day to know me, not just for the version they know now, but to know how I became this version. For better or worse, here's the nuts and bolts. This is what you should learn from my life. And I realized how there just isn't a place for that. You know, if we go back in history, we find rock cave paintings, we find scrolls, we find, you know, ancient writings and books. Then we move a bit further along the line, we find shoeboxes of photographs and things like that. But our generation just isn't doing that very well. We don't write memoirs, we don't leave biographies. At best, we see biographies on TV by celebrities who can afford to make them and distribute them. And that's fine. And I love watching those. But isn't it amazing the power that you learn from somebody's story told in first person? A documentary, if anybody's seen Val Kilmer's latest one, I mean, it's unbelievable to hear this, the, the depth as we're doing now from a person's story in first person. That's really what we're doing now. The problem is, where are we putting these things? And how are we passing them to the next generation? And so when I sat and wanted to record that, I tried to record it as a private podcast and realized I wanted to be able to put pictures and video and, and stuff and recordings and things like that. And so it was a point of frustration, really, as most founding stems from. And I just thought that there would be more people that wanted to do this. Only come to realize that I wanted to hear the, the insights from my grandfather who had passed away years before. Now that I'm old enough to appreciate them, I'd love to have them now. And so there's this two-way thing of, my life and what I want to leave and what I could have had, had it been left for me in a format that was created. And we soon learned that there just isn't a platform like this. <clears throat> There's nowhere to do this. You try to put just audio, video, picture in one space on the internet anywhere. It's very difficult to do. And then try and add to that owning your own data, being able to leave whenever you want, not being manipulated for advertising, not being sold as a product, and then being able to pass that content generationally and Capsule was born, you know, we found a common thread with us founders around the heartbeat around that we've approached everything from how we would want to be treated as a client or as a user, which is a terrible word, we need a new word. And we've built it accordingly to what we would want and what we feel humanity will go. Our goal is not to build a, a billion dollar company, although I mean, we are going to do that. Our goal is to affect humanity and how we connect with each other through the value proposition of our own stories. And so that's kind of the mission we're on. And you know, I think just going back to your previous point about why we feel we are qualified to do this is largely because of that living all over the place and understanding the the human, the fabric of humanity, how different cultures connect, what the the essence of human life is, what do we need? We want to be known. We want to be remembered. You know, we want to pass on wisdom and insights. The massive wealth that we should be calculating that we're losing in the earth right now through our generation, through just passing on insider memories is a absolute travesty and so that's really our drive you know and uh it, it came together in the way that i 
batted the idea around, really felt for the most part, again, a massive divine download over a 40 minute period. One of the clearest times I've ever heard a spiritual, uh, let's call it a voice in a way, download that to me. And, um, you know, reached out to Anton, our other co-founder, and he was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm in, you know, reached out to Sam because we had this relationship that I I, I know Sam is a powerhouse, you know, and I, and I wanted to build it with friends more than anything, but I appreciated his skill. And um, I'll leave the story to him because he'll fill it in nicely, but it really just came together of three friends wanting to change the world. And a lot of startups say that, but I truly believe that we are building a mechanism that can do that on and off the app, connect people closer with more meaning. Clint, you're making my job very easy. You teed it up perfectly <laughs> for, for Sam. So I'll just get out of the way. And Sam, I would love to hear how you came on board. Isn't it amazing? Speak for both of us. Stop it. Stop it. Carry on. Stop it. Carry on. I think I really, there's so much to this. And I was just quickly jotting down a few, a few notes because it's always capsules just in, hopefully I'll do a good job explaining this and why it's such an important part of my life and why it's, it is my life moving forward and why I'm so passionate about it. So there's a few different subjects though, and some, I don't even know if, if, if Clint knows them all. So the first one is my grandma. My grandma did not speak English and I, I, I lost my grandma when I was uh, seven years old. And as all kids do, they, they muck around. They, they don't fully understand that just being kids. And there's uh, a few times I wanted to speak to my grandma uh, and really get to know her. And I didn't get to do that. I didn't get to do it. Tell her I'm sorry for a, a few times she, I, I annoyed her. Of course, I'm, sh- I'm sure she knew I was just a seven-year-old brat. But uh, at least have those conversations with her and hear her story. And the, the, the second one is, is so interesting when, when Clint called me for, for Capsule. Uh, a few years prior to that phone call, I remember being back in Hindon in uh, West London, catching up with all my school friends, my old school friends. Different conversation, talk offline, maybe another podcast. I had a very, very colorful childhood wasn't always on the right side of the law, you know, just, you know, it was crazy. And I said to the, said to these guys, I was like, I, I really want to just gather all of the stories. I'm, I'm, I want to write a book and not for, for any self-fulfilling purpose. Or it was more just because I had this crazy childhood and I actually wanted to share with people how you can have this childhood and make it through and have a successful career and travel the world and all this kind of stuff. And so um, I actually wanted to sit down and, and get all these stories from them. I don't know if you ever told you this, Clint. And so it was, it, it's just a part of Capsule, right? And so I really had these ideas about how do we capture these stories? And then I can, and, and I, it wasn't just me, right? I, I needed all 25 of them to come together and talk about all these crazy stories so I can add it into my book. As you know, now now I've got a deep, deep, deep passion for history. Um, I read my the, the scariest article in the Financial Times I've ever read because uh, the title was "We're Losing History," and the the title uh, it basically went on to say that history as a subject is decreasing at the fastest rate since records began. It also went on to say that uh, an American born in New Jersey, an American born in West Virginia. 
and an American born in Seattle will all grow up learning different parts of history. Some will learn about the uh, founding fathers on the Mayflower. Some will learn about slavery. But it depends on where you're born in America. That's how divided American history is. They're teaching you what they want to teach you. Whether you're a southerner or a northerner, they're going to teach you different parts of history. So Capsule's about preserving history. It's one of my one 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 of my my big points there. Uh, my dad is an exceptional cook. Clint, appreciate your compliments earlier. You know, I love to cook. I got that from my dad. I want to pass those recipes on to my kids. I want to capture those so I can selfishly use them whilst I'm alive, and then pass them on to to my kids and my kids' kids and so forth, so they will know how my dad cooks. And the last one is purpose. Uh, the last one I can remember anyway is purpose. Interesting story. In my low twenties, I I also had a a, a vision or a, or a word, uh, but my word was quite different. It was um, you're never gonna you're never going to found a company, but you, you will co-found a company. Very very strange words to receive, right? Because I'm like at the time I was a, a stockbroker and um, and I always had this kind of purpose to do more. Um, but the, it was very clear I was going to co-found a company. And so when Clint gave me a call and uh, said, look, I've, I've, I've got this idea and I want, I want to share it with you. Uh, within a couple of minutes, I, I, I said, stop, stop. I'm, I'm in. He's like, what? You're in? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, haven't you got this like really successful career? And I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah, but I'm in. I'm like 100% in. I'm all in. And so um, for me, capsules are homecoming. It's a way that I can practice my two greatest passions whilst growing a unicorn. We fundamentally believe we, we, we will be a billion dollar company, but we will also change billions of lives on how they save, store, and electronically pass on their stories, recipes, memories, uh, wisdom in, in perpetuity. So every single person has a chance to be remembered, which I think is extremely important because historically you were only remembered if you paid a lot of money for an oil painting that was passed down or if you had the money to create an estate and a will and um, do comprehensive estate planning. But we're essentially giving everyone an opportunity to pass on their stories. And so for me, it was a very easy fit. Um, and when, when Clint gave me a call, <clears throat> that was my, my purpose fulfilled. It was Clint all along. He was going to give me a call. <laughs> and this is the company I'm going to co-found. So, I was uh, actually calling a few years later to see if you cleaned that kitchen up yet, mate. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a big task. <laughs> it's, an, it's an important task. It's an important call. Yeah. But uh, I'm, glad it wasn't, I'm glad it wasn't just uh, about cleaning the the dishes it was about starting a, a company together so yeah. that's a beautiful backstory i would love to now zoom in a little bit onto some of the features of the app because we've we've talked pretty high level about capsule and what what brought it into fruition one of the uh, very intriguing features of capsule is that and we've talked a lot about stories and the power of telling your story and I'm a huge believer. One of the reasons I started the podcast is because I know the healing power of both sharing my story and listening to other people's stories. 
one of the features is that you coach storytelling in the app. And I would love to, from either of you or both of you, would love to hear what that looks like and, and why you included that as a feature in Capsule. Yeah, uh, thanks for that. I, I, you know, it's, um, it's kind of inherent in a way. You know, with my background in radio and TV, I understand that people don't always know how to tell their stories, uh, how to find a start point, how to add levity to it, how to land it, the kind of texture you want. And there's all of that sort of structural side to it that people need confidence to learn how to tell their story. We recognize that what we're asking people to do is, a, is different. We are actually creating a space in the market that doesn't exist. And uh, that goes everything from the coach storytelling side to the generational sharing and, and pieces in between. And certainly our architecture, which is, which is unique to us and proprietary. But outside of the actual, how do I tell a story? The reality is that you want to leave full stories if you're leaving them for future family members, future friends, future generations. And so what does a full story look like? If I were to say to you, hey, tell me about the time that you met your wife, you would tell me, a perfect stranger, the high level thing, right? Like so-and-so introduced us, we went for dinner, it was great, now we're together. Oh, how long have you been together? 10 years, okay, great, awesome. And that's it, that's what I get. And honestly, that's probably what I deserve. But if I were to say to you, if you're going to leave a story to your kids or your grandkids about how you met your wife, why don't you start your story by telling us about what was going on in the world at the time, just two or three big events. Now you're saving it in context of world history. So we're doing a great service there. Now speak about what song was playing on the radio as you were driving to that, was it a dinner date maybe? Put a link to that song in your description for this capsule. What happened? Did you order the same food? Did she order something you hate? Did he have an awkward moment? Did you think, wow, this is the one or no, I can never be with this person? How long was it before you called next day or week later? What was it? And what was the response? Now, what's happening in your mind as you listen to that is you're filling in all those pieces of the story. And as you're telling that story, you're leaving a fuller memory. But neurologically, what's happening is that by telling one story, your mind is connecting closely related memories to that story. And often these memories are forgotten. It's kind of like sitting with a school friend that you haven't seen in years and going, wow, I would not have remembered that story or that person had we not met up and had this conversation. And that happens when you're recording your first person story in capsule. And so you end up with this real fulfillment and in a way a really healthy dopamine hit as opposed to just hitting a like button which is an unhealthy dopamine hit because dopamine is not supposed to have a stop point it's supposed to lead to further chemical reactions in your brain and in your body that is actually the fulfillment of of that process and so when you cut it short it's actually it is actually a health issue and so when you get a healthy dopamine hit that gives value you're actually giving value to your story, value to yourself, to your life, value to those around that were involved. And the hope is that that value causes you to connect differently, to value yourself differently, to value the other people in that story, and then value perfect strangers differently. And so, um, so the coach storytelling is there to play that role. And it's quite infant at this stage, you know, it's kind of video coaching, that sort of thing. But, you know, we got a lot to build out and ultimately hopefully we'll build that out with a digital human or something like that that will actually be able to guide you anonymously remotely through the telling of your story and so uh, we got big plans for that but the heart of it 
is to help you save and leave a fuller memory. Mm -hmm. And could you also, Clint, speak to the the neuroscience and, and the research that has gone into making this? You've alluded to and spoke, you've actually spoken pretty directly about uh, dopamine, and you've made references to our neurobiology and the way our brain is wired. And I would love to hear how that has informed the way that you've set up the app. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And, you know, I'm not a neuroscientist, obviously, else I wouldn't be doing something else. <laughs> but um, I listen in those spaces a lot. Uh, you know, we've got some great commentators of our age that have opened this learning up for us. You know, you think about the Joe Rogans of those spaces and that sort of thing that have welcomed open commentary about these sort of things. And I certainly experiment with my own neurology and, um, you know, supplementation, things like that. But for me, I think the core, the core understanding is really around how a neuro pathway is created. And I think that le lends itself to where we stand in the divisive nature of humanity over the last couple of years. And it concerns me about those neuro pathways that are driven towards division, driven towards negative thinking, driven to those spaces, because when those are solidified and you actually have that thought and you continue with that thought and you continue to solidify that thought, most people don't know that physically you create a neuro passage in your brain that actively, when triggered, goes down that same path of negativity or division. So if we can approach it from the sense of what is a healthy response to that to replace negative neuropathways? And we go, well, a healthy response is to recognize you have value. That of 7 billion people in the world, no single one has the same story. It's impossible. No single one has had the same victories, same successes, same failures, same opportunities, same chemical makeup. It goes as far as you want down that rabbit hole, right? Impossible. If you're that unique, it means that you have value and your story should be saved. And if we can understand that, we start creating neurology that is positive and start showing value. And out of that neurology, our general connection in life will become positive too, to other people and to ourselves. And so, you know, without going to massive death, I'd love to have a neurologist work with us and actually um, help us understand more of this. Uh, any founders out there will know that the amount of time you have and the amount of desires you have to fill are never, never in alignment, you know. But um, I think there's a lot more to it than what we're speaking about and what we're thinking about. But the very basics is that our heart is to go in that direction and, and affect the physiology of people in order to have a better outcome in their lives. Yeah, and at a very high level, that, that sounds uh, correct to me. Uh, and I, of course, am not a, a neuroscientist myself, but I've studied folks like Andrew Huberman and, and people. Who yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, when you have a grooved, a deeply grooved neural pathway in a, in a negativity bias, then it's anytime you're reactive, you will go, you will default right into that. And so it, I think it's really neat that you're factoring that into uh, the, the way the app is built. Yeah, reaction and response is such an interesting thing too, isn't it? I mean, that is, it kind of does sum up our social media, the way that we've tested this out over the last decades, because we've been learning how to use it as a human race. But the fact that our inclination on social media is response instead of react is problematic. Or let's actually the other way around, rather. I got that wrong. React instead of respond. Mm. You know, that immediate reaction is what hurts us so often. But time to take a response and is different. And that's kind of one of the hardest things we have with Capsule is asking people to take a response stance and actually be thoughtful about what you're saving and thoughtful about what you're doing. 
that you're dealing with a human facet of restructuring learned behavior. And, you know, when we speak about tasks we're taking on as founders with the app and such, that's probably the biggest task we have is that the app is great, the ecosystem we're building is great, all of that's great, but we are actually trying to change human behavior. So from here, I actually downloaded the app earlier this week because I, I wanted to familiarize myself with it and, and see what it was about in terms of being a user and not just listening to you guys. And I have two specific instances that I will speak to. And then I would love to hear ways that you have personally used Capsule because I think it can, it can be used in so many different ways. You can use, you could do audio recordings, you could take videos, you could take pictures. And there's any, there's no limit to the descriptions we can have. And it can be a high moment, a low moment, lesson learned. So I'm going to share two personal stories. And then I would love to hear maybe one from each of you. Uh, two weeks ago, my wife's best friend and her boyfriend were in town. They, they stayed at my place, my, me and my wife's place. And there was just, it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful fall day in New Jersey. And there was a moment where I was walking behind all of them. And I just, I felt filled. I was just like, I'm with these people that I love so much. We were walking in the beautiful foliage. We were walking through a very scenic neighborhood. And I just took a picture and I said, I want to remember this moment. I don't want to skip past this moment. And in Capsule, I described what it was like to be in that moment. What was, what was the temperature? Like, what were all the sensory experiences that I was having? Because I know that it could just get buried in my archives if I don't put it in a place like Capsule. And the second instance was yesterday, I was speaking to a mentor figure of mine. And he's, he's about 10 years my senior. And I was just opening up to him about challenges that I was having, specifically professionally. I have my own coaching business. And a lot of times my conditioned tendency is to try and hit the gas harder and to be hard on myself. And he was giving me lots of perspective around being patient, taking committed action, but thinking about long term. And after the call was over, I had the wherewithal to take two minutes and just record an audio note to myself with just what my reflections were, uh, a reminder, a life lesson to myself and a reminder to myself that, hey, Mike, you've got plenty of life ahead of you. There's no need to be hard on yourself. There's no need to rush. And so I made a subfolder in Capsule that just has little bits of wisdom that I've picked up, little voice notes of wisdom. And I, I love that I have a place that I can now drop it into and save them. There's so many different ways that the app can be used. So it, it doesn't have to be profound. It could be something silly. I would love to hear whatever's top of mind for each of you in terms of personal examples. I'm just so happy you're using the audio feature. I think it's just an amazing feature that the app has. Um, I use the audio feature to record my dreams. Mm. Um, you know, I think dream recording is, is special. Any type of uh, similar to your your recordings, um, it's just amazing. So I use. I'm glad you're doing that. I I, I do it too. My wife uh, sent me some private capsules on uh, my son uh, on his first days, and so we're we're using the app to securely share images that we just don't want the world to see anymore. You know, I don't care. If I get 460 likes and 207 love hearts, it's it's just pointless. We talk about that dopamine check-in 
of people posting pictures and videos just for the likes. And uh, we just don't have that on Capsule. There's no likes, there's no comments. And so all our personal personal family archives are starting to be used on, on Capsule, where we, we want to use that as the archive to then pass on to, to our kids and, and, and their kids. So that's, I know you asked for one from me, but those, I had to... I had to tell you about the dreams, man. That's uh, I had to tell you about the audio feature, but that, that's that's two two ways that I'm using it. Yeah, well, I'm gonna tip two as well then, because I can. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I, I I I just echo that as well. Like Michael Flip, I love that you that you're using the audio feature. The audio feature is close to my heart because uh, from radio and stuff, you know. I think there's a purity about it, you know, when you just you have to dial in and listen. To somebody i think that's why podcasts have become so massive too you know for me that there was one moment where i was actually on a call with sam and ant and uh, my mother had just added a capsule of my grandfather's uh stuff that she has and i it was immediate immediate reaction i was like whoa that's that's my oh that's my grandfather that's crazy all black and white photographs of magazine articles of different things that have been interviewed on for and stuff he was a orphan that become a very high-powered ceo in south africa and a really fascinating story but i didn't even know this stuff existed and so she had found it and you know photographed it and put it in there so i have this archive of his his career or some of his career some of his thinking around that which if you can imagine is extremely meaningful to me right now as i'm founding a company and so in some way creating uh, this has already fulfilled the initial desire that I had to know more of him. And I think you'd be surprised how many things like that our family members and friends have, if we just give them a place to collate them for us. But the main way that I found myself coming back to Capsule, because uploading content and all that is fine, there's other places to do it. I mean, you don't get the perks we have in the sense of what you should have as a natural internet user, that you're not manipulated for your data and that you can actually own your data. The fact that we have a conversation about you owning your own data is absolutely beyond me. But anyway, that aside, the, the way I found myself using it the most fulfilling way is that first person storytelling where I actually just will hit record and sit in front of the camera or audio if I don't want it to be camera and, and save my thoughts about a certain time in my life or about a certain event and then add pictures from that time but the lead thing is my story the lead thing is not just dumping my content the lead thing is my story and then i'll add a few pictures if i if i want you know now the funny thing about capsule is if you go on capsule you'll see we have a public feed because we want people who are like cancer survivors or such to be able to share their story public publicly but the driving force behind capsule is private sharing and so you don't see a lot of this stuff you know because it's private so you don't see a lot of these sort of more intimate storytelling moments and things because I have them in private capsules. And that's what it's meant to be. Can we get used to not seeing everybody's stuff and feeling like we have this unfiltered access to people's personal lives? I think we should. I think it'll be healthy for all of us. Yeah. Well, you brought in that it would be really helpful for people who say are cancer survivors to share their story. I'm wondering, because I, I have heard you speak to this, what are some other ways that you think it could be powerful for Capsule? I know that one of the purposes of it is to be private and have intimate personal stories that aren't shared with the world, but what are some of the ways that you see this could make a difference with public shares? 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that Sam puts his dreams on there is absolutely terrifying to me, you know. Um, <laughs> not sure not sure that's what I want to follow. <laughs> it's my private, I'm doing it on my private account. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad. See, I'm glad things are private. I'm so happy that you are doing private things. It's good. Yeah, my private capsules, man. <laughs> good deal. Yeah, man, you know, I, 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 uh, I think you're right. Like, people are going to discover many, many different ways to, to use capsule. Um, it, it, we refer to it more as a platform and an ecosystem than an app. And we refer to Capsule as a movement as opposed to a brand. We're asking people to join a conscious awareness of a movement to save our history as a generation and set a stake in the ground for future generations to do the same. But as far as public use, I don't know, man. I think like, you know, we've, we've seen different things, but I, I think that inspiration is certainly close to my heart, cancer survivors and such. But I think we see artists coming on as well. I think we see artists doing um, public capsules that can possibly draw towards private capsules where they have never before seen lyrics, never before seen um, moments of walking down the street thinking about a song or studio time or whatever. We're certainly not going to compete with Spotify for releasing music. They do a fantastic job. But we can certainly create a space that is more privatized for them to connect with their followers. Um, but I think that there's spaces where we see all kinds of things. We can disrupt the space of influencing and what that means. We can disrupt the space of brand and brand association by telling stories as opposed to just peddling a product. And so there's a big space of that. I think most near to our hearts is the nonprofits that we bring on board. We work predominantly through nonprofits to help their members because they understand the value of story. And when we get to the point that we've effectively built out a space to highlight those nonprofits in the public arena and bring awareness around that and that people can actually donate to that through our architecture, which is something Sam loves talking about, so I'll leave that for him, then I think we start seeing a different kind of public space where we're seeing a positive public space. And it's not, it, again, it hasn't got that public-like or public comment space where people can discredit you based on the content you're creating. So a healthy space. Now, whether that works or whether it survives, we will see. Our main business is private sharing, but we'll see what happens with the public and see where it goes. We just want to create a safe public space if it's going to be there, you know. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, people are free to use it how they want to use it. Uh, we have our, our feels about it, but uh, at the end of the day, wouldn't it be great to see some people be as open or open enough and confident enough to put a full-on type first-person documentary style thing about their life so that it was like going and watching a celebrity on Netflix but it has meaning it has it has perspective you know can we come to that point where Capsule could actually own our own studios and actually source that sort of content from our own users and create more documentaries of real life people that are fascinating. Yeah, I hope so. I hope we go all the way with that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm expecting that this is going to take a life of its own and that in a lot of ways, the users are obviously going to dictate all of the creative and, and wonderful ways that Capsule is used. But Sam, there was an invitation in there from Clint to expand a little bit on how not-for-profits can the, uh, can utilize capsule. Is there anything else that you would like to share about that? Sure. Yeah, I'm just still thinking about what Clint said about the documentary. I know uh, 
I know David Attenborough did a fantastic job and I can see Clint replacing him actually and uh, doing some David Attenborough stuff. Uh, How dare you? How dare you? um, Watch the gazelle. Exactly. The Arctic (laughs) polar bears. The blue-bottomed monkey. Yes. (laughs) So uh, I, I think... I think well, just it's been evident already with, with the nonprofits we've we've signed up with that there's a there's um a general connection with all nonprofits, regardless of what they do. They're all mission driven and they're all purpose driven and they're all trying to leave and preserve a legacy uh, of some sorts. You know, you think of a nonprofit that are helping terminally ill children, for example. What one nonprofit we're working with uh, helps kids from three to seventeen, um, and sadly most of them don't make it. Well, with what they do pre-capsule is provide hope and fulfilling some of their last wishes and and, and things like that. Um, post-capsule, they can save memories, stories, pictures, video, audio. So if someone loses their sibling. In 50 years' time, their grandchildren are going to get to see, hear that sibling that didn't make it. And it's really passing on their legacy. Uh, we're speaking to another nonprofit, which are one of the, the biggest organ procurement organizations in the US. And they already pre capsule, they already uploaded some pictures and um, some videos on YouTube. I get a you know a few a few views and 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 likes and and whatnot uh, of compelling stories. A young a young girl doesn't make it, and her heart goes to a young boy who survives because of that organ. And um, there's already videos of their family listening to the heartbeat and, and sending it to to her family, and so they can hear their late daughter's heart. And it's just awesome like just heart-touching stories like that which can be amplified through capsule where they can save those stories and through capsule uh, we have a one dollar give back program where we give 12.5 percent of our gross revenue back to nonprofits. we really want to change the status quo on you know the average in the u.s is sadly around 0.2 to 0.5 percent you know we're, we're, we're going to be giving 12.5 percent so mm. we, we we really want to make a difference not just in what we're giving back but how to amplify the these incredible stories that's already being made millions of times a day across americans and the world and we we're, we're creating a vessel for those stories to be passed on and um, in in a, in a very safe private way in perpetuity. So that's a little bit more about the non the nonprofit stuff that we're doing. What you guys are doing is pardon my French here, but it's so fucking cool. It really is. It's uh it's really a beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I speak a lot of French. It's all good, man. I understood that perfectly. I didn't, even, you know, I didn't need a translator or anything. I'm, speak I'm really learning a lot of French at the moment, yeah. <laughs> well, you're a student of the world after all. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, there's so many beautiful ways that that capsule can be used. And even just hearing in this hour and change so far, all the different ways that it's already being used. I'm, I'm really hopeful for the future that capsule can be a part of and help create. And to that end, 
I would love this. This question is twofold and either of you can take it first. So I know it's been about a year. This must have been an immense year of growth and lessons learned. So on one hand, I'm interested in reflections that you have as as founders on, you know, the very beginning stages of creating this thing that you have a massive vision for. And then I would also love to hear what's in store for 2023 and, and what do you feel is ahead for you? So neither of us want to go first, huh? We just, it's because it's, uh, it's we've got, we've got, so, we've both got such big plans. There's a lot of filtering that goes on in our minds because there's so much we want to build out and so much we want to do. And, you know, I do just want to say that the start point is that, you know, this sounds like we've got this perfect product that's, uh, that's operational and everything. The truth is that if anybody has, has ever built tech, you know, that it's an ongoing process and you find these bugs and you change and you listen to your users and you, you try and adjust and all these things. And so it's a, it's an ongoing process. You know, most, uh, most apps don't get into the market, you know, for years. Uh, we decided to go into the market and make our users part of this experience and part of the journey um, to listen to them and see what they needed. And we launched after, we, we went to the, into the public space after 10 months, you know, and that's risky. Uh, but we have made very, we, we've made some, some, very human decisions as we've gone through this that are not the best corporate ways to do it but we feel that we've wanted to make this a human experience and so i think the hope is that it'll continue to be a human experience into 2023 that we'll see more people connecting on that level as a human experience you know the journey of founding is a tough one you kind of you don't know what you're getting into when you head out you know you have an idea and you know you have a dream and you have no idea beyond that, you know, and then when you get some friends on, you realize that there's three of you that have no idea, you know, so it's like, <laughs> okay, here we sit, we have no idea. And you discover and learn as you go. And that journey never really changes. You keep learning and keep growing. And it's a, it's a difficult paradox because, you know, when you're trying to raise money, which you have to raise and you have to raise more than you ever imagined, you have to put your best foot forward, but you also have to help your investors understand that you don't have it all together, you know, and it's, it's very difficult and that journey continues and you change things in the product and you try to fit in the market and and there's just so much learning as you say that we've had to go through and are still learning and are still taking investors by the way so you know that doesn't change for a good few years and pivoting but what i've learned the most is that i've done a lot of things in my life alone and a lot of things that have been my own projects and the opportunity to do it with two friends that carry the weight of it, see the vision of it, bring their very distinct skill sets to the table, to the fact that we don't have to find co-founders because that's difficult and that we don't have to have the kind of foundational conversations, discussions, arguments that have to happen in founding teams. You know, we've had maybe three arguments in the last year and a half and those we've all had really good resolution to and they've had to be there to propel us forward, but nothing's harbored, you know, beyond a single meeting. And we're very open and honest. I think the joy of doing it together is probably uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most. You know, there's a bunch of personal growth and stuff that comes with it, but the way it stretches you to be open and honest and humble with each other is something that I don't know if you experience that outside of really extreme scenarios like, you know, possibly going to battle together or or spaces like that, you know, when you have such a burning desire to bring something to the world and such a hope that people will support you in it and buy into it for their own sakes, but then get to do it as friends has been, uh, has been immense. 
resonates a lot with me, man. As a, yeah. a solopreneur myself and someone who creates this podcast by myself, someone who has developed a, a coaching business by myself, there is so much power in being able to lean on your brothers, your friends, the community around you. Sam, I would love to hear there's there's no pressure, but if you have any reflections, lessons learned, or any hopes for what's next for you, anything that feels alive. You know, you know, it's you have to take a step back and look to see how much we've done this year. The, the, the issue is we 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 both want we both want to do it all now. <laughs> we 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 got such we got this beautiful thing which we want the world to have and we want to change the world. And um, I think we need to be humble enough to to realize that Rome wasn't built in a day, and um, we want our personal ambitions um as a founding team is we want we, we just expect everything to be here like already already uh, for god's sake and i think the reality is is it just takes time it takes more time than we we expect so i'm i'm i think it's been a phenomenal year and um i'm really excited for 2023 <clears throat> because that's where you know our, our two years of 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 work on building is going to come into fruition and so it's going to be a very very big year yeah just to echo uh, a, a few words that that clint said you know it's we, we we've it's, we're first time founders you know and uh, there's a lot to learn there and clint would never say this about himself but just a phenomenal ceo you know how he's grown to in, into that into that position you know faster than i've grown into a chief business officer role you know it's just uh you can't make it up you know you get you get thrown in the swimming pool in the deep end and you swim that's it right um you mentioned it right in the beginning <clears throat> mike of uh, sink or swim you know that the vikings used to burn their ships when they entered a new land and it was uh it was single die or survive basically mm -hmm. and uh we have that um that philosophy that viewpoint uh with with capsule you know it's 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 not a matter of it's not if it's when and uh you know i think next year is going to be the year where it's uh it all comes together so yeah uh it's very 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 excited for what we've done and uh you know even more excited for for what's to come yeah I'll, I'll just say add as well like we it's it's beautiful and thanks for the compliment mate that, that very kind um i um i think something worth mentioning as well is you know we decided to do this the way that we felt was right from the gut uh we formed the company first a lot of people frowned on us for that they said build an mvp see if people want to get data all that we felt dealing with people's memories we didn't want to ask people to commit meaningful content like that for an mvp and just not have a real responsibility over it you know so we've done things differently from day one but one of the things that was different for us is that having anton our other co-founder in bali meant that we operated a 24-hour company we had exact opposite clocks so when we were building the company here we'd go to sleep and they'd build the tech there and vice versa. And so we might have only been founding for, you know, well, actually, it's closer to two years now. We have operated that as a four year schedule. You know? And so we've moved very quickly, and very deliberately and with some risk, you know, but there's always risk. And we just recognize that we want to get it to the world now. 
but yeah, I agree with Sam entirely. You know, twenty twenty three and beyond is is really where we are. We are hoping that people will join the movement. Well, I am for one, very excited for what the future has in store for each of you as well. And I'll just name also, it's so evident how much you care for each other. And I would even say love each other. And that goes a very long way in sustaining a, a relationship. And uh, your commitment to your vision is very evident as well. So those are, I think it's going to catapult you into a very, very long-term success. And uh, my eye is on the clock. I know that we're pushing towards the time boundary. So as we move towards the back end of the interview, is there anything about Capsule or about yourselves that you would like to invite into the conversation? Any, anything at all that feels alive for you? I think just a thread of what we were talking about now, just a bit, you know, and it might lead to something else. But yeah, I think, you know, trust is just the most important thing, you know, in a founding team. I mean, above skill and above talent or, you know, remarkable histories of things trust is it you know we have to have some really really tough conversations and we don't shy away from those we leave nothing on the table we leave nothing that can fester nothing that can stick around in the back of our minds to uh, mistrust each other nothing is left on the table we discuss it all and it's it's messy sometimes but i think when you are so driven towards a purpose and you realize that purpose is bigger than yourselves and it's really this is the shot this is the shot in history that us three get to offer something to the world that hopefully they get that will change humanity. And a lot of people speak about changing humanity. A lot of people speak about changing culture. I mean, I live in Austin. You, Matthew McConaughey is like head of culture at uh, UT and, and all of that. And it's just like we actually have a mechanism to do that. You know, that's the, re that's the reality. We have a mechanism to do that. And it's not the only mechanism. There is a whole river of very, very human, connected, meaningful, driven startups that have humanity in mind. And we champion them on too. We are creating a new way that business can be done. We are creating a new ethos around it. You know, not just the app, not just all of that, but the way we do business, we want to be a model for doing ethical, empathetic business. And so there's a lot to the, to our approach on that. But, you know, man, it takes a lot of us to change things, you know, it takes a lot. Will we have competitors? Yeah, we absolutely will. We welcome that. We welcome changing the world together. We welcome the competitive nature of that. We welcome great products to be built. We just want to be the biggest. <laughs> yeah. And the reason we want to be the biggest is because we feel within ourselves and within our team that we can be trusted. And we have the life behind us, the struggle behind us, the difficulty behind us to have set that part of our human nature and character towards understanding meaning and understanding the responsibility of it. And, um, and that's really what it is. We're just asking people to trust us. That's, that's really the ask at the moment. Well, I, I just have a couple more questions for you guys. One that I like to ask, but I'm going to do it in a, a mixed way for, for purposes of the conversation that we've had today. So I, I typically ask, what's an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? And how I'm going to frame this for each of you is what would be an ordinary everyday moment that you would like to share as a capsule, maybe with a, a future grandchild of yours or something, something that feels relevant to you today that you would like to share? 
You're making me go first. Okay, good. Oh, this is a tough one, man. Clinton, if you have something, <laughs> then feel free to dive in. Okay, okay. I'm going to give you three quick ones. Nice. Just take liberty, right? First one is uh, when I take my dogs to the park and um, throw the ball for them and just the simplicity of taking those moments, you know, to just breathe. It's funny enough, the same park where I had the inclination to call Sam from. Mm. And uh, so there's, you know, you start becoming aware in the simple moments of the memories that surround you that give you value. And um, we've lost so much simplicity in life, you know, but um, it just doesn't have to be as complex as we've made it. And that's probably what I'd say in the capsule. The main capsule I'd leave is my wife and I, the power of that connection, the power of that journey together, the need to have somebody that truly is your soulmate and champions you and you champion them and what all of that means. And there would be a lot of private stuff in there for my kids one day, you know. And then I think the last one would probably be one of what I believe the world could be or what I hope the world could be. What I, what I hope the effect of Capsule would be. And I'd love, to, I will record that and leave it to them and leave it to me and see where we are by the time my lifetime is running out, if I'm fortunate enough to know which day that is and it doesn't blindside me. And, but more so for them and future generations down the family line to look at it and go, wow, in the conscious level of where he was at the time, he really missed it, you know, but <laughs> he was a dreamer, you know, we don't know what's going to be, what's going to be, uh, what's going to come. But um, my idea of success for Capsule is not so much how many users or, or how many billions or being a market leader, or any of that. My success is Capsule is when I walk past the street, put, walk, walk past some people in the street one day and they're talking about how they saw a valuable memory that the other one posted and how it changed their perspective and made them really care differently or, or perceive differently. And just the value proposition of hearing it on people's lips one day is what I look forward to most, you know, and not the proposition of capsule, but the proposition of their own value of their life and their memories, yeah. which should be on capsule. And if they're not, I'll <laughs> up and tell them that. <laughs> Your answer, Clint, it, it highlights maybe something that we haven't uh, spoken about or addressed today, but there's a, a way that Capsule can be great for remembering moments like walking your dogs in the park, but also as an acknowledgement for look how far I've grown. Look at the consciousness I had when I was 40 versus when I'm 70 now. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful intention and a beautiful gift of the app as well. Oh, that's an amazing that you hit that. And I do want to hear Sam's responses, but it's amazing that you hit that because, you know, one of the things we come across is we've got from 14 years and up on the app and we've got 14 year olds that love using the app, even though they're not our main target audience. We look for older demo because we understand life and we have those stories and stuff. But the 14 year olds are just hooked on the private sharing that they can share their content privately and not be abused for what they're sharing. And if they want to remove somebody from that capsule, they can, they have control to do that. And so it's only with their friends. And that's the comment we hear back most. But you know, it's true when we speak about college students and we've had conversations with them in small focus groups and they go, oh, I don't know if I'd use it. And I go, exactly what you said. Imagine being able to look at your life and your thoughts now down the line and realize how you've come along and where you got to in that. Or imagine 
you know, because we're a subscription model, right? We, we, because we don't advertise, because we don't track users and make them products, we have to have a business. And so we're a subscription-based model. But what would you pay for just one of your grandmother's recipes to bring back that memory of that home cooking meal? What would you pay for that? You know, what would you pay to hear just one conversation of your grandfather? You know, what would you hear, pay to hear one of your own conversations from when you were 20? That's really what we're talking about. And not that we manipulate the price around that, but just to speak about value and where we put our value and where we, what we're willing to pay for things that have very little value. And we pay both in money and we pay in time. And that's really what it's going to cost to save your memories. But the value is going to, going to outstand that. You're going to have a massive return. Beautiful. All right, Sam. The Clint gave you plenty of time to think of an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy. I would love to hear. There's no need for it to be to sound impressive, like a cup of coffee. No, no, no. That's, beautiful. That is, that's good. You know, I was just thinking, as Clint was talking there, you know, we next week I would have, I met my wife uh, next week, uh, six years ago. We'd be married for five and a half years. And within that time, you know, two kids and just been crazy, crazy good. Almost like when I was saying about capsules, sometimes you need to just take a step back and look in and be like, wow, we did all of that. This is amazing. So one thing we're, we're going to start doing, which we, we said is uh, a weekly date night. And, um, and that's, that's just awesome, right? So well, that's an ordinary thing, but uh, brings a lot of value. The other one is um, mornings, uh, as soon as we wake up, because we have a three-month-old, Lauren's feeding the baby, uh, is um, I, I spend like the first 30 minutes of my day feeding Maria, doing breakfast time and stuff before I start work. And, and getting at it so i really cherish that time because it's uh it's my job to change the diaper you're 50 50 if it's going to just be pee or poop um and so you're like yeah it's just pee today i mean <laughs> uh, i'm not doing the i'm not doing the poop uh but it's uh, it's it's awesome you know it's like, oh no it's a poop day but uh it's it's my time it's it's, it's my it's my time with her and uh i, I really cherish it and um i'm gonna find something i mean my my son is only three months but when um you know, when he can start walking around that there'll be an activity that i'll do with him and then that'll be my my kind of you know my little daddy daddy uh daughter time daddy son time and then date night time are like three three major capsules that i'll be continuously adding towards awesome i love it uh, Sam, there was when you scheduled, there was an organization that you wanted to raise awareness for, and the organization is called Hope Kids. I was wondering if you wanted to speak a little bit to why that was the organization you chose, anything about it at all. Hope, yeah, Hope, Hope it's actually one of our first nonprofit alliances. That, that that was the nonprofit I was referring to, helping helping the kids and well, the families of the kids who who are uh, some of, some of them are terminally ill. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a in a big family and, you know, we've been very lucky that uh, we're all still around. And I couldn't imagine what it's like to to have a sibling that has a life threatening uh, illness or, or, or doesn't make it. And it really aligns with what we're doing at Capsule. So just uh, just I mean, there's it's very difficult to name one. That one just came to mind. There's there's a lot of nonprofits, man. Just doing amazing stuff. I was I was at a I was at a uh, an event last week, and there's a, a nonprofit called uh, Hope for the Fatherless, and it's uh, an orphanage in Ethiopia. 
and uh, just crazy that the founder was an orphan. His mum was murdered by their neighbour. Dad was uh, just for no reason was taken to prison and became mentally ill. Uh, basically lost both parents within the space of six months and had to raise his two brothers at the age of six, six or seven, or something like that. And uh, he's now a pastor that travels around and uh, just, just, just the this is so many nonprofits that needs funding that need help to uh, continuously do what they're doing. Most of them are not getting pats on the back. You know they're doing the hard work, and um, you know my 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 dream, Mike, is to is to basically uh, because Clint Clint would be too busy, so I'll, I'll basically be the one that attends all the gala dinners. That's what I want to do. Just wear a bow tie every day. Wear a dinner jacket and just go to all the gala dinners for all the nonprofits that we're helping out. And that, that's that's it. And then then I know then I know we've made a true impact to the world. I'm just looking through your uh, just looking through your job description here. I don't see uh, I don't see this uh, as your only role. <laughs> just wanted to record it so it's uh, legally binding. Uh, it is. Those yeah. are the facts. Those are the facts, Sam. Oh man. But uh, in all seriousness, thank you for bringing those organizations to our awareness. I will certainly be donating. I I hope that the listeners do the same. I will link to both of the organizations that you mentioned in the show notes. I will also link to all the ways that folks can connect with you on Capsule, uh, any other places that you guys are online, I will link. And uh, the final question that I ask is that the podcast well, let me, sorry michael just before you do that i just want to add something there if you don't mind i don't think it came okay. across um fully but the nonprofit link is when sam speaks about it being built into our architecture every user actually gets to select their nonprofit, and from their selection we give a dollar of their subscription hmm. directly back to that nonprofit. Um, and we contract that with nonprofits and we contract that with our users. And so it's built into the mechanism. And so when we speak, it's the word donation that you brought up that I, that piqued me to just stress this a little bit, you know, because when, when our consciousness is aware of an issue, we tend to donate. But the truth is that these organizations need funding all the time. And so how much better, and we challenge other companies to do this as well how much better to actually build it into your company structure into your architecture if you're tech that there's a natural way to give back that is not requiring a user to take a, a, a regular action to do it but it's automatically built in and so that's where the 12.5 percent of our revenue comes in that number user selection directly back and uh part of why we we are pressed to run a subscription model as well so you know ultimately man we want to see uh non-profits have to find more people to serve with all the money they have, as opposed to trying to find more money to serve the few people that they can serve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for making that clear. Uh, and so, as I where where I was going was the the podcast is called Mike Search for Meaning, and I always end by asking. I would love to hear from each of you what it means in your words to live a meaningful life. I know that you've already you've kind of for the entire duration of this podcast basically explain that but yeah we'd love to hear should i make him go first again yeah i'll, I'll go first can you finish off mine's, mine's really easy I, you you just said it mike you know as as i get older um as i have kids you know i just 
you know, as I start, you start getting the whole, the whole picture of life and um, how to be more selfless and care for others. And I never forget uh, one of our mutual friends in Dubai and <clears throat> one of those famous houses where we had, we broke bread together in their toilet was a, a picture on the wall, a poster on the wall that said there are a thousand languages in the world but a smile speaks them all. And all I've ever tried to do is be a light uh, in, in people's lives. You know, we, uh, I don't want to go into to the full story, but yesterday evening I was out with some potential investors and uh, one of them tried to commit suicide twice. The second time he jumped in front of a train and he miraculously survived, but he's only 45 years old and uh, he's uh, he broke his back, and so he slurs. Miraculously, he can walk without a walking stick, but he, he slurs and he's, he's um, much slower. And I just spoke just over his life at that point. You know, I'm not a qualified pastor, minister. You know, I've never, never done any like public motivation, but I literally said, "You are a light." You know, when 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 you're here, everyone surrounds you. you you're influential. You're a light. And he texts me in the morning uh, today and just said, you know, thank you so much for, for for those kind words. Fortunately, he hasn't tried hurting himself since 2009, but uh, he has had thoughts. He did say he had, he's had thoughts since 2009. And it's just those things, man. Uh, if everyone was able to live a meaningful life, there would be no wars. There would be no ego. And we would all live happily ever after. And without sounding, you know, like me and Clint's come up with this idea that's going to, that's going to, the capsule's not the sole answer, but I truly think that capsule is, is going to be a huge vessel to steer people in that, in that, in that right direction. So that's meaningful to me. That's what, how living a meaningful life is. I love it. All right. And Clint, over to you. Yeah, um, I had a, uh, I had an influential leader in my life uh, during the time in Dubai who would look at me and say, you just want your life to count for something, you know, and um, I do, I want, I want this to be something that impacts many, 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 many millions of people, billions of people would be nice for their own sakes, though. There's a level of consciousness in previous generations, even back thousands of years, that understood way better than we do the connective nature of humanity, that we are all connected, that the sustenance of life from trees to humans to wherever is actually the same life source in all of us. And if we could regain some of that consciousness, that we are connected and what we do to each other, how we treat each other, our, our spilling of our opinion out of this thing that gets us in trouble so much, our mouths, has an impact on other people. The way we do business, the way we run our own families, our own thoughts, our own, or everything about us as humans is connected to nature, connected to each other. I think if we could see that elevation of consciousness happen in our lifetime towards governments being more connected, being more human, right? Artists being more connected, more human, 
Um, it's already dismantling this shine that we have on these people um, in these hierarchies. It's dismantling. But what is left? We can't leave a void. It must be filled with the connected nature of humanity. And what does it mean for you as an individual in the collective? And so if we can, if we can see that, if I can recognize that in my life and, and part of that is, you know, from the way that I have treated my family and, and my friends, because that's really the start point. And then capsule has added value to that. Then that would be meaningful to me. Yeah, that would, that would mean a whole lot. Well, Sam, Clint, thank you both so much for taking the time to be on the show. This was such an absolute pleasure. And I experience each of you to be shining your light, being the light. Uh, and I'm very hopeful for what Capsule is creating and for the impact and the legacy that it's going to leave with humanity. Uh, yeah, I just, I really so much enjoyed this conversation. It, the two hours that we've been recording just flew by, but. And I believe this was your first public appearance together, correct? Is this the first one we've done together? <laughs> so many, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's crazy. Actually, oh, I mean, it's, it's been awesome for me, too, because I, a lot of what Clint said I, I knew, but there were some, some new things there. So it was awesome. It was like, uh, you know, we as, as co-founders, we, we tried to get, you know, Sam and Clint time. So this was actually a really good way of that. It was, uh, yeah. I, I loved it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's amazing. You spend so much time on screens nowadays, you know, it just kind of feels normal. We, we speak about these things all the time. So we're kind of just letting you into our normal conversations. But thanks for the questions, mate. It's, uh, it's wonderful. It's always encouraging and, you know, always great to be pressed to think along these lines and rethink along these lines again. And, and all of these sort of things help us form what we're doing, you know. So, so thank you so much. It's been a great, great pleasure. And, uh, yeah, best of luck with the podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, to all the listeners, whenever you are listening, I hope that you have a great rest of your day or evening and take good care and lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well and keep living with purpose. Peace.